professional athletes have to watch their diet all the time. They're constantly balancing their nutritional needs and their energy needs and whether they're going to feel bloated if they eat the wrong thing before competing. How much harder is it, though, when you're a type 1 diabetic as well? You're not just fine-tuning your diet for performance. You're also balancing a lot of your body's basic needs. You know, as a... As with Tom Baker as Doctor Who, you don't go anywhere without your load of lollies. Would you like a jelly baby? Anyone for jelly baby? Have a jelly baby. Would you like a jelly baby? I'll kill him with this deadly jelly baby. Justin Morris is head coach with uh, Mind Matters Athlete Coaching here in Hobart. And before that, he was peddling the world for years as a pro cyclist. Good morning, Justin. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me here, Joel. Do you have jelly babies or jelly beans in the pocket? You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I Actually, every ride I have a, um, a pocket full of jelly beans or jelly babies or something of the sort, and that's, uh, that's my lifeline for a lot of lot of situations. Now, do you manage your, your diabetes with technology at all, or are you kind of an old school person? I'm pretty old fashioned, to be honest with you. But I must admit, these days, the types of technology we have available to us as people who live with type 1 diabetes is amazing. The, we, we have monitors that can t- continuously uh, tell us what our blood sugar levels are, which is something that used to take uh, up to two or three minutes, or well, many years ago, took uh, took ten minutes to find out what it is, and now you can get it more or less instantaneously with these special devices. And the types of medicine we use are a lot more efficient, a lot better now. Uh, but as far as the actual uh, management of it, yeah, I'm regarded amongst my mates who have type one diabetes as being pretty old school because <laughs> I'm a pretty stubborn guy. I think you have to be to be an athlete in some regards. I found a system that worked for me. And I've stuck with it for over 20 years now. Just about every kid learns to ride a bike. What was the point for you where you actually went, I'm going to take this seriously. This is my thing. Well, yeah, interesting point, actually. I used to, I grew up in Western Sydney and I used to ride the bus to school. And I mean, like most school kids, you go through a bit of a a phase where you're getting bullied by the bigger kids at school. And it's not such a nice experience. And the bus is like a melting point of bullying. I yeah. hated being on yeah. there. Yeah, so, yeah. Hallelujah, uh, brother. I'm with yeah, you on that. You're with me. Most uh, people who seem to have uh, had some kind of success in life seem to have that, had that kind of experience uh, somewhere along the line. But anyway, so I hated catching the bus. So I started uh, thinking of other ways to get to school. Walking was incredibly boring and I'd, I'd get there late. So I dusted off this um, this old mountain bike that my dad got me for my birthday one year and I rode to school. And when I was riding my bike, I had a smile on my face. And I think the smile is probably one of the most motivating things anyone mm. can experience in life. If you're smiling doing it, you generally want to do it more. And I set my goals uh, you know, after riding to school and back many, many times. I set my goals to one day become a professional. It took me over 10 years, but, but I did get there, yeah. I, I do have to just, as a little aside there for Carrie Lanahan, who, for those who haven't heard the earlier part of this interview, Carrie's six foot five, but... He was nodding along, talking about bullying and the bus being a place to be bullied. You know, this happened to you too, Kerry? Yep, it happens to in almost all school environments. If you're different, you'll uh, get uh, picked upon. Um, and I wasn't always six foot five. Yeah, that's true. Uh, um, when I uh, put on my big growth spurt when I was about 15, I, was, I weighed about mm, 70 kilos. Uh, I was a bean pole. Um, and my major issue, of course, is that when Star Trek came out, I started getting called Spock. Oh, no. Right. 
Straight away. Yeah. Now, why? Because you liked it or just because you were tall? Or No, 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 no. That sounds logical to me. <laughs> um, you were already that kind of guy. I was already, I was already that kind of guy, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, look I, I grew up as a geek as well. I completely understand that. I was playing D&D at that age and, and joining in all those same sorts of things. So... Um, now, so from, from riding a bike with a smile on your face, Justin Morris, what's the step up to there to competing? Well, a lot of hard work. Same with anything in life, I imagine, to get to the top of it. It's uh, a lot of, uh, of grind and grit to, uh, to push through with the hard times to get to the, um, the top of the sport, I suppose. It, like I said, it took me 10 years, but in that process... I've broken 14 bones. I've come back each time. I've done many hours and hours and upon out, countless hours uh, riding on the bike to get to that level. But I think the biggest challenge I had uh, that other riders of my kind of contemporaries didn't have to deal with uh, was dealing with this condition type 1 diabetes. So what, what did it mean for you that was different for everyone else? As I said earlier, all athletes have to have some control over their diet. Yep. How much more control did you have to have? Well, with type 1 diabetes, it means that my body no longer produces this hormone called insulin that regulates the amount of carbohydrate is in our, in our blood system. So subsequently, I have to take injections to manage this, uh, the level of carbohydrate in my blood. And I also have to pay very close attention to my diet and what I'm eating to make sure I can stabilize that blood sugar level as best as I can. So you kind of... Every day of doing, and I hate maths, but every day I end up playing a, 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 a more or less like a mathematical equation where you're counting the amount of carbs you're uh, inhaling and you're also trying to uh, count the amount of calories you're burning through your exercise because that also, like the medicine we have to inject insulin, exercise also puts downward pressure on the amount of carbohydrate in your blood. So you're just constantly playing a balancing act. And it's, it's an extra stress. You know, everyone got, you go to the start line of a race, everyone there has got something stressful in their life and some kind of um, challenge they've had to overcome. But with type 1 diabetes, you've got something that's there 24-7, 365. And I think it's, it, it just makes the people that do have this condition who have achieved high things in sport, I think it you know, makes, them, uh, makes them worthy of a bit more of a pat on the back, so to speak. Yeah. I also tend to think that you've had a constant mental pressure on yourself, a constant awareness you've had to have about yourself for your whole life. Does that, do you think, even feed into your success in your life? Because you've always had a certain amount of awareness about who you are and what's going on with your body. Yeah, it's a good point. I used to, I say to, sometimes I do presentation to young kids who have type 1 diabetes and other groups and I say this corny kind of catchphrase, but I say diabetes has closed the door to my pancreas, which is that organ that no longer yep. works in us with, with type 1, uh, but it's opened a window to my body. You do, you get a bit more insight as to you know, what your, the effects of the things you're eating have on your body, a bit more insight as to the effects of the type of exercise you're doing, whether it's short, sharp efforts or it's a long endurance type exercise. Uh, they all kind of throw a bit of a spanner into the works as, as to what your blood sugar levels are going to do. What's it like traveling? Because you've competed overseas everywhere. What's it like traveling with this issue? Yeah, traveling is uh, uh, another massive 
spanner in the works. So you know, to you've speak. got to get yeah. onto the plane with liquid and a needle for a start. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah, you've got to have a special exemption we have from our doctors that allow us to go through security with big needles and stuff in our carry-on bag. Uh, but changing the time zones is the biggest challenge. So the travelling in itself is. Uh, well, it's cumbersome enough because you're sitting down as opposed to for an extended period of time, as opposed to standing up and moving, which then makes your blood sugar level go up. And then changing time zones and your circadian rhythm, that's also a big challenge. It takes me probably, well, it takes everyone time to adjust to jet lag. But if I were to go to Europe, I think it's probably a good two weeks till I feel like my diabetes and my whole kind of system is under control again. What's it like for diabetics in other places? Like now, America is the one that immediately springs to mind because it seems that insulin is obscenely expensive over there. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's a huge issue in America and and across the world. Just access to this uh, to this medicine, insulin, that we need to stay alive. And I've travelled to many countries. I lived in America for five years. I uh, travelled to Africa, a lot of races in Asia, and. Even East Timor I went to a few years ago. And I think traveling to these places gives you a bit of perspective. And perspective, I think, can be incredibly motivating, can be incredibly eye-opening. But seeing what people have to deal with in most parts of the world who live with type 1 diabetes, it's uh, make me incredibly grateful to grow up in this country mm. where we have amazing organizations mm. that Diabetes Tasmania, one of them, does amazing work lobbying government so we can have access to these new technologies that, that help us manage our diabetes. The Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, another fantastic initiative that's doing the same kind of thing. Uh, and having a system like Medicare, it just means for me to go around saying, yeah, if you've got type 1 diabetes, you can live your dream in life. In Australia, it's a reality, and I think myself and there's quite a few others in this country who have uh, who have been successful in sport or other areas are, are a testament to that. But the reality is, in a lot of parts of the world today, type one diabetes can still be a death sentence. And actually, this year is a poignant year for type one diabetes because it's 100 years this year since insulin was invented as a treatment for this disease. Before that. It was, a, it was a death sentence. So getting access to this is incredibly important. And yeah, I think that's one of the, one of the really good things that some of the organisations like JDRF and other um, diabetes awareness programs are doing is trying to get this, this uh, medicine insulin available to more and more people around the world. You're listening to ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. I'm Joel Reinberger. Justin Morris is here with us. He's a former professional athlete and a, a current coach. Of, uh, of other cyclists. Also in the studio is Carrie Lanahan, Tasmanian fantasy author, who you may hear pipe in uh, every, every now and then. What, what, how do you manage yourself when you're actually on the bike for a long ride? So I've got a mate who does, you know, two and three day rides and he said, you know, you've got to choose what you have in your pockets to eat really carefully because you can really ruin yourself and not have the energy when you need it. So are you actually having to inject yourself on the run? No, well, it's a, it's a, it's a common misconception that we have to you know, inject ourselves quite regularly while we're exercising. I mean, there are circumstances where it may be necessary, but more importantly is eating food. So getting part of the reason why I'm a cyclist, to be honest, I love eating. So uh. and I love carbs. And if you're an athlete and you have type 1 diabetes, it means you get to consume more and more carbs. So uh, whilst I ride... I have to carry a lot of nutrition with me and we have little pockets in our cycling jerseys. 
But over a long ride, yeah, you you really got to stay on top of it with both short-acting carbohydrate and long-acting carbohydrate to ensure you can sustain a a, um, a healthy blood sugar level. And because if you go too low, or you go too high, it really affects your performance and your judgment. And so you're really interested then in in GI of everything, of how yeah, yeah, yeah. how quickly you yeah, absorb it and use it. How quickly it it turns into energy. You become very aware of all these sorts of things if. For instance, I have hypoglycemia, so it's a pre-diabetic condition, uh, and I was luckily made aware of this uh, back in my early 20s, and um, I've had to adjust to that, so instead of carrying jelly beans, I carry peanuts, Yeah, yeah. right, whenever I'm away for any, so I've got, I carry high protein foods rather than high sugar. Oh, right. what, why do you need high protein particularly? Uh, because too much sugar <laughs> will bring on the diabetes. It's a matter of trying to uh, maintain your energy levels by forcing your body to process protein instead of processing sugar. You don't want to overwork it. Uh, I went uh, three years without uh, any chocolate after having discovered it. Oh, of all the stories I've heard today, that's the one that makes me want to cry the most. <laughs> you wouldn't believe what the first piece of chocolate was, was like after three years. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's... it's Something everyone should be aware of is is your sugar levels. It's something everyone should pay attention to is what they're eating. Justin, has this kind of ruined your enjoyment of food, your ability to just go nom, 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 or or does it actually just make it even more poignant? You know you can have this and, and, and enjoy it and go free for all. Well, it's a good point, and um, my wife would probably have a, a good uh, comment for this because she often says, oh, you don't know tasty foods, you don't know fancy foods. Like, I just know yummy or yucky. So I, just, <laughs> I, I suppose, uh, yeah, the types of... Food you have to eat as an athlete, you you become quite dependent upon that type of food, and and you just yeah consume it. What what, what is the thing that you are dependent on as an athlete? Uh, well, yeah, probably jelly beans. That's yeah, when, I, when yeah. I was a kid. That's what my mum used to give me to uh, help me get through hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, and uh, and it worked. So I've kind of stuck with it. Yeah, they're still yummy, are even you- after. 24 years. 24 years. Uh, what about you, Kerry? You're still on the peanuts or do you got a different snack these days? Um, I, do a lo- I do a lot of dried fruit. I've got um, close to 100 kilos of pears that I'll be drying this year from our tree. Um, now that's, that's, a, that's a mega dose of sugar, isn't it, when you dry fruit? Yeah, but I put them in muesli. Ah, there you go. Uh, along with the other dried fruit. But uh, uh, nuts, nuts are always one of my go-tos. Uh, peanut butter. Um, unsweetened, uh, and that that works for me. Is 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 I and avoid sugar, for me. I'm the I'm the opposite. I don't want too much sugar. The big challenge for me now is the bills at the dentist office. I've, <laughs> after so many years of being an athlete, you're sinking um, high sugary things into your mouth, and uh, I'm not popular with the dentist. No. Well, perhaps I am. But I'm sinking so much money into them. That's that's exactly right. Now. Uh, Virtually all uh, long, you know, long form athletes I've met and cyclists in particular describe have described to me something that they call a pain cave. Yes. Do yeah. you have a pain cave? Yeah, there's a few different words for it: the pain cave, the zone. You know, finding your rhythm was kind of where you're at. Such you're in such amount of uh, of discomfort that you can sustain it, and then your body starts uh, kind of uh, operating functionally without the pain but you're in that you're in that cave so to speak yeah it's got it's kind of masochistic but it's addictive and i think it's why what draws a lot of people to to sport 
Endorphins are your friend. Exactly. That's the scientific <laughs> thing that happens in the brain. You get those endorphins pumping. Justin, what do you offer people as a coach? Uh, look, well, I write plans for people and I ride with them one-on-one to help them understand cycling and help them understand themselves and how they can get the most out of their, themselves as a cyclist and try to make it most out of themselves for other things in their life as well. But it's mainly quite an intensive um, coaching platform that I use and we, we chat to put a high, um, high importance on communication, do a lot of one-on-one sessions, teach them the skills and drills about handling the bike, about having good form and style on the bike. And then the guts of it is what's called a training plan. So you might meet someone who really wants to do well in a specific race and then you write them out like a calendar or a diary, so to speak, uh, to help them uh, give them idea of what types of rides they should do each day to ensure they're in tip-top condition for a, for a certain race or event. Justin Morris, it's been lovely and fascinating talking to you. Thanks for coming in. Hang out with us for another 10 minutes or so. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Joel. We're going to be looking at what is fresh and local, what is the great produce and what we should be doing with it in just a moment.